as we've been calling it. So many sermons that Jesus taught to the people, and uh, he taught these sermons over and over throughout Galilee. You know, it, it tells us in the New Testament that he went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. He also taught outside on the hillsides. And there was over 200 synagogues uh, there in that region, according to Josephus, a famous uh, Jewish historian that was around during the first century. So we know Jesus taught these same sermons over and over and over again. And we have in Matthew, one of the times he taught it. We have in Luke, another time he taught it. And so you read them and you hear a similar like, wait, I, I've read this story. I've read this sermon, but it seems a little bit different. It's because he taught it multiple times, and depending on the audience and the spirit leading them to say certain things, it was different. It doesn't mean that, you know, don't think it's all one time he taught a sermon and he never taught that sermon again. So it's been good looking at the sermons of Jesus, looking at what he taught. And, um, you know, last week we thought about false teachers. We thought about false ideas, you know, the wolves in sheep clothing, and we thought about how it's not just them. You know, God calls us to be on our guard. This next part, uh, we'll just call it the next sermon as Jesus is teaching, he takes it from the false teachers to the false believers, the false believers. And as we get into it, I want to give you a number and I want to explain the number, okay? 23%. 23%. 23% is the percentage of Americans who today identify as nuns. Don't think Catholic nuns. Nuns are the non-affiliated uh, spiritual group or religious group. They did a census back in 2010, and for the first time, there was this large growing group of individuals who identify as, I'm not part of any religious faith. They may pray, but they're not affiliated with any denomination, any kind of faith. They wouldn't call themselves Christians. And it's a growing number. And in 2016, there was a big wake-up call because they found out that it was the largest group and the fastest growing religious group in America, period. Bigger than all the Protestants, Islam, everyone else. It got up to 25%. It was the largest group in America, and they identified as non-affiliated with any kind of faith. And so the church got scared, and people started writing articles. You could read them. back. They started writing in 2012, and they've kept writing about it. It alarmed the church because we said, hold on. The church is shrinking. People are not coming to faith as fast in America as they are other countries. What's going on? The church is missing the boat. We're missing the mission. We're not People aren't coming to Christ, and people got scared. But some of us sat back and thought, you know what? Maybe it's not that the people have changed their religious affiliation. Maybe they're just more honest now. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, people were actually not really believers, but it was cool 30 years ago to claim to be a Christian. It helped you in business to be a Christian man or woman. Today, it doesn't. It's no longer the in thing. And so some of us are looking at the statistics and reading this 23% and saying, maybe it's that people are just more honest about how they really live now and if they're really affiliated with faith. Because it got to a point to where you could knock on almost any door in America and people would say, oh, no, 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 I'm already a believer. Yeah, and I have church at home. 
and, uh, and, and I don't need uh, any of your religious stuff. I, I'm, I'm already a believer. I know who Jesus Christ is. Now people don't say that. Now people are like, I'm just not interested. That's just not, or they're quiet. A lot, the newest generation, Generation Z, they are very, they are very unreligious. They don't want to be affiliated with any Christian group. It's actually the largest group of nuns are in the Gen Z group. They don't affiliate with any real faith experience. And so back in the day, there was this issue where people would claim that they're part of a church, but maybe it wasn't true in their lives. Now we have people saying that this isn't true, and that problem is what Jesus taught about in this next sermon. 2,000 years ago, Jesus addressed the people, and he said, there is a problem with you either saying that you are a believer and maybe not be, or you might be mistaken about where your true faith lies. He preaches about that in Matthew chapter 7. So we're going to finish Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at this. And uh, don't worry, I'll walk you through it in case you're curious of what I, how I'm connecting that. There is a problem in America with faith and people thinking because they're part of a religious group, do they really know God or not? That's the problem, and Jesus addresses that. So turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 21 in the beginning, and we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, it's a little sad that we're finishing uh, so quickly. This just went by so quickly. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Now, these are shocking words, and if you're new to church, stick with me to the end. Some of this feels a little harsh, and you're going to be curious about why Jesus spoke this way, but just give him a chance. Let him finish his part. In verse 21, Jesus is teaching them after talking about false teachers. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Whoa. You know, the people that were listening to Jesus at this time, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people. And he says, you know, not everyone who says, I am their Lord, they're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This should be shocking for you as the audience, for you as the hearers. If you were there 2,000 years ago, this is what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, so if I say that I believe that you're Lord, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get into heaven? Because in their language, whether Jesus was speaking in Aramaic, uh, unlikely Hebrew, but Aramaic or Koine Greek, which is what this is written in, Regardless of any of the three main languages he could have been speaking at this time, they, have an they don't have punctuation like we do, like in English. So when they use a word twice, they use it like the exclamation point. That's for emphasis. So when Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, he repeats that twice to say, whoa, this is someone that's like, I know that Jesus is Lord. Not all of those people are going to enter into heaven. So when people are hearing this message, they're caught off guard and they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would Jesus say that? That seems harsh. That seems wrong. I thought if you called Jesus Lord, that's how you become a Christian. And just give them time. There is a proper way, but, but feel the tension that Jesus is giving. Not everybody that calls me this is going to get into heaven. Preaching this another time in Luke chapter 6 I like this because he doesn't include the Jewish emphasis from verses 22 and 23 that we'll read. He just, he, he opens this sermon because he's speaking more to Gentiles who are non-Jewish. So they're actually closer to our, our culture. 
he begins to them with a question. This time when he preaches this sermon, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? It makes me think of like this mom that's got her kids corralled. And she's like, why do you call me mom and you don't obey me? I'm your parent. You're supposed to honor and obey your, your mother and father. Why do you call me your parent and you don't treat me like your parent? I can just imagine like a boss saying, why do you call me boss when you just do whatever you want? Why do you call me a boss if I'm not really your boss? So that's the kind of emphasis. Jesus begins his sermon with, why do you call me this, but you don't act like it, you don't live like it? Uh, the term lip service comes to mind. Uh, if the term lip service, I couldn't find when it was first published. If you can Google and find out English idioms and paraphrases or phrases that people use, I couldn't find when lip service started, but I found out the first time the word lip religion was published was in the 1590s. They used it in Europe, and they used it because people were claiming to be a part of this this revolution of believers in the church, there were all these people saying, I'm of this religion, but it didn't change their lives. So there was, uh, there was this term called lip religion uh, that was first published in the 1590s. It does, it's not used very much today uh, because it's insulting. What it means is, why do you say that you follow Jesus, but you don't live like it? That's a harsh question. It feels hard, it feels attacking, it feels accusatory, puts you on edge. You know, like it's not very nice to say that. But that's how Jesus begins his sermon, but he does it on purpose. Because the crowds that he's talking to, he loves them so much, he doesn't want them to mistakenly think that they're following him if they're not. Because it's devastating for their lives. So what he's saying in verse 21 in the next two verses is that many will be deceived by their religious affiliation. I'm going to explain it more if you're still like a little, is that what he's saying? What you see in verses 21 to 23, what he's saying is many people are going to be deceived by their religious affiliation. Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, on what day? What day is he talking about? Well, if you read verse 21, he's talking about the day that people enter into heaven. So we're talking about you've lived your life, you get into heaven, you're at the gates you could think of, you're standing before the throne, and Jesus says, not everyone who said that Jesus was Lord is going to enter into heaven. And he says, on that day, many people are going to say to him, before they enter into heaven, because they're not entering into heaven, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So Jesus is saying, not everybody who calls me Lord, and I mean emphasis Lord, two times, exclamation point. Not everybody's like, no, I know that Jesus, the Christ, is Lord. Not everybody who says that's going to enter into heaven. As a matter of fact, on that day when they think they're going to enter into heaven, they're going to stand before the judgment, they're going to be rejected, and they're going to be thinking to themselves, wait a minute. Didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles or powerful works in your name? Why are they going to be rejected? Now, I have to tell you, for multiple years when I read this, I thought it was talking about individuals, and it's not. 
See, the, Jew, the reason why this is in Matthew and not in Luke is because in, in this time of Jesus preaching, he's preaching to Jews primarily, that's the audience. He's telling them, you're going to say to me, didn't we? Look at the pronoun we. In verse 21, it's singular. Not every single person is going to say who calls me Lord is going to enter. Singular is going to enter. In this language, they have a differentiation between singular and plural. So he's saying the individual is not going to enter. Then in verses 22 to 23, what the problem is people are going to get there and they're going to say, didn't we do this? Because, you know, when I first read this, this is how I thought of it. A lot of people are going to stand before heaven's gates. They're going to stand before the throne and they're going to say, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I perform many miracles? And it got me thinking, how many people prophesy? How, how many people cast out demons? How, how many people perform miracles? Or, or it's the Greek word dunamis, like where we get the word dynamite. It doesn't mean dynamite. That came after. A lot of people mistakenly think that. And some preachers do that too. It doesn't mean dynamite. It means power and capability. There, there are going to be people that say, didn't we perform many miracles? If you look at those three statements, that identifies the Israelites. That's the Jewish people. They're not like Americans today. We are a very individualistic per people. Our culture is very in it, me and my and I. 2,000 years ago, these people, you were born in a Jewish home, in a Jewish family. That was your faith. That was your family. That was your ancestry. It was likely going to determine your job. Your gender was likely going to determine uh, a whole bit of your life. So you were born into groups. People had group identity. So this is speaking to the Jews, not that every Jew is going to say, didn't I prophesy? They didn't. Or, or didn't I cast out demons? You know how many Jews cast out demons? Very few. It's that they're going to say, hey, I was a part of God's people. What do you mean I'm not entering into the kingdom of heaven? I, I mean, my people prophesied in your name, meaning we spoke for God. We had the holy scriptures. We casted out many demons. You know what that means? We fought against the spiritual enemy. Well, I was a part of the group that if anybody enters into heaven, it, it kind of ought to only be us. It was we did this, and we performed many miracles. I mean, you, you read about Elijah. So they thought of Abraham as their father, and they thought of Abraham in the Old Testament as his righteousness was passed on to them because they were God's people. If we translate that to today, because we're not Matthew's audience necessarily, we're not Jewish, what that means today is in our culture, people are going to get to heaven. They're going to say, I was a part of Grace Community Church. I was a good person. I was an American. I paid my taxes, most of them, you know. I did, I did good. You know, I, I, I did, I, I voted the right way. I, I was with the right people. I mean, my church, my church spoke the truth. I mean, they preached the gospel. I mean, we did, we did the big serve in the spring. I mean, we, we did all these things. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, I didn't know you. Many people will be deceived by their religious affiliation. And Jesus is trying to pull them back from that. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who you lawbreakers, or you who practice unrighteousness, or whatever your translation is. It's about breaking God's law. Just, who, just because who you affiliate with or you claim with your lips, you give lip service that Jesus is God, and he is God, whether you say it or not, just knowing that Jesus is God's son does not make you a Christian. 
And I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll show you how Jesus amplifies that in John and 1 John and other places. But just believing that Jesus is God does not make someone a Christian. Some people mistakenly think that, and we need to do a better job at really telling them what the good news is and what faith is, saving faith. But some people are going to be mistaken. Well, they were mistaken in Jesus' day, day two, and he warned them sternly. Listen, many people are going to get this wrong. Many people are going to think because I claimed you as Lord or because my religious affiliation and who I was, many people are going to wrongly think they're getting to heaven just because of what they say with their lips and who they're identified as. That's not what gets you into heaven. He says, I never knew you. So he's making it clear. What we really need is a personal relationship. You, Jesus needs to know you. Now, when he says, I never knew you, is he meaning like, I never knew you, Jack. I didn't know Jack existed. It's not like, a, it's not like somebody's going to get to heaven and be like, wait, Bob? And they're going to look on I don't know Bob. I don't you know who's Bob. It's not like he's saying, I didn't know you. What he, he's speaking about relationship. I never had a personal relationship with you. Salvation is not given to a group of people. There's even Christians that get this wrong in their theology. Salvation is not given to a group of people. It's given to a singular person. He makes it clear here. Look in the Greek. It's singular in verse 21. Then verses 24 to 25, it goes singular again. The, the mistaken idea is that God gives salvation to a group. He does not. He gives it to the individual. And it's by faith with a personal relationship with God. So, it should take us back to verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is the scary part. So not everybody who says Jesus Lord is actually going to get into heaven. This ought to, you know, this ought to perk you up. This ought to make you listen. Not everyone, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Uh-oh. By a raise of hands, how many people do the will of the Father in heaven all the time? Yeah, my hand wouldn't be up. This also is scary. Only the people who do what you wish, what you want, that's the will. That, that word means only those who actually do what God wants. This is scary for me because I'm a fallen man. I don't do everything perfectly. I'm not always following God's will. So I'm listening to Jesus' sermon, getting anxious, thinking he's telling me the truth. What does he mean? Just calling him Lord doesn't work. I got to do what he says. And then he says in verse 23, then I will announce to them, I never knew you. He's talking about the personal relationship. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I'm a lawbreaker. I have broken God's law. So now I'm thinking, is that my identity as a lawbreaker? Why is Jesus, just look at the scriptures, why does he connect our relationship with him to obedience? What is his purpose? What is he teaching? Why does he connect how you live your life with your relationship with him? He's making it sound like how you follow him will show you whether you really have a relationship with him. Why is he tying your holiness, your obedience, your sanctification to your relationship with him? Well, there's a good reason. Turn, turn to John chapter 14. We'll have it on the screen, but John chapter 14, because this is not, Jesus is not giving a works-based salvation. He's not saying you have to be good enough to be saved because no one is a true law abider. We all break the law, so we know no one's covered under that law. We'd all die and go to hell. So look at John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered, and actually he answered Judas Iscariot. If you don't know who that is, 
Google it when you have some time to read through it. Jesus answered, if anyone, any one person loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And this is the scary part. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The one who doesn't love me isn't going to truly obey me, isn't going to really follow me, isn't going to endure, isn't going to persevere. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Oh, the Father's will. Only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. So he's connecting this here with John. The disciples understood this. Paul and Peter wrote about this. John wrote about this. He wrote about this a ton. So our relationship with him, our truly knowing him and loving him, depart from me, I don't know you, but if you do have a relationship with him, that loving relationship with him is going to cause you to follow him. So if you don't love him, you're not going to obey him. Soon as trials and tribulation come, you're going to walk away. That's not what I signed up for. Jesus isn't as great as they said. If you don't love him, well, how do we love him? Why is he saying that our relationship with Jesus is characterized by love? Our love expresses itself in following him and keeping his word. Why is Jesus doing this? Well, if you turn to 1 John 4, same author, he says, 1 John 4, verse 8, I read this in the beginning. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. This is how God revealed his love for all of you, for the whole world to see. This is how God revealed his love. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die. He lived a sinless life. He never broke the law. He lived perfectly, and then he was crucified. He died on a cross. He, was, he suffered and died. He was buried, and on a third day, unlike other people do, he, no one ever did this. He raised himself from the dead. Now, other people have been raised from the dead, but it's always by, been by a work of God. Jesus raised himself from the dead. And he proved that he defeated death. He proved that he conquered our greatest enemy. Our real enemy is not poverty. Our real enemy is not illness. Our, our real enemy is not discomfort. Our true enemy is that we have a creator and we do not obey him. And he said that when we sin, when we disobey him, it separates us from him. And if we die like that, if we die separated from him, we will stay separated from him forever. Our real enemy is a death that keeps us separated from God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anybody that puts their faith in him, believes in him because of what he did, they will not perish. They will not die like that. They will not stay separated from him like that, but they will have eternal life. They will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. They will have real life. So Jesus is explaining in Matthew, John expounds on that here in his letter of 1 John, love consists in this, not that we loved God, meaning we didn't love God first. We didn't call Jesus down from heaven but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning 
sacrifice for our sins. The word atoning means covering. He covered our sins. He paid for it. All of our wrongdoings, all of our law-breaking, all of our imperfections and our weaknesses, Jesus died in his blood that he shed. He was the sacrifice for us so that we would never, that our sins will never stand between us and God because he paid the price. That's how God showed his love for you and me. And then I love verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The Bible makes it clear. It's not those who claim a religious affiliation who get into heaven. It's not those who give lip service that they know that Jesus is God. That will not get you into heaven. Those who truly know God know him by his love. The only way that you will ever personally know God is if you receive the gospel for yourself. Meaning, when Jesus died, you believe he did that for you. You're blown away. You realize, what I really need is to be forgiven of my sins. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I don't deserve to be in heaven. Don't be like the religious group that thought because of their affiliation and their laws and their dress and their their stuff that they were right with God. Don't be proud. God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Those that know I needed Jesus to die in my place, I couldn't have done it. Those are the ones, because they receive God's love, they're able to love him back. We only love God if we understand that he first loved us. So it's by receiving God's love through the good news of Jesus dying for you on the cross that you truly have a relationship with him. doesn't matter if you call him Lord, and it doesn't matter if you're a part of the right group. Your religious affiliation will deceive you. It takes a personal relationship with him through Jesus' death on the cross. That is what we need, and that's what Jesus is saying. Keeping his word, though, is beneficial. So he makes it clear that, listen, your religious affiliation, that's not going to work. But if you do obey me and follow me because you love me, it's going to bring stability in your life. Do you want stability in your life? Because he's going to make it clear in verses 24 and 25, not just in salvation, not just in salvation will you receive stability, but for the rest of your life. How many people know that when you, when you get saved, it's an amazing moment, but God doesn't just, you know, zoom you up to heaven, right? How many people wish that as soon as I got saved, I just wish God would have been like, all right, you're good. Come, come enjoy, enjoy peace and rest and eternity with me. He doesn't do that. He leaves you on this earth. And so I'm not obeying Christ in order to be saved, But what if I want to follow him? And what if I want to do what God says? What if because he loves me, I want to obey him? Well, Jesus talks about this in his next words. So in verse 24 and 25, he begins 24 with therefore. That's why this is all one sermon. That that therefore is how you know that what he just said, not everybody calls me Lord, Lord's going to enter. You know that he's connected to this because he uses the word therefore. Therefore, if you know it's not through lip service and some religious affiliation, but it's a personal relationship with me, If you know that and you love me and obey me, therefore, everyone, and he goes back to singular, every individual who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, 
And the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. How many of you uh, get distracted watching YouTube videos? Any of you? Yeah, okay. That's some honesty out there. I know some of you will preach on lying next week. Uh, so sometimes I start like watching a video and I watch things that I don't need. I, it's no good for my, it's like not going to help me at all. But I started watching these videos on laying a foundation, the footing of a house. I watched a 23 minute long video. I mean, I've got kids. What am I doing with my life? I watched this super long. And listen, talk to anybody that knows me. Anybody that knows me, do you think I'm going to be laying footing for a house anytime soon? No, not even close. I knew I wasn't going to do it. And I watched this whole video because it's just amazing, like 16 inches wide, and you got to dig so deep, you got to do this, and you got to pack the dirt. There's this uh, machine, I think it's called a compactor. It's like this foot, it almost looks like a jackhammer, but it's flat on the bottom, and it like presses down the dirt to try to refill the hole when, when you have to dig down. Anyway, I was watching all this fun stuff and uh, the footing in the house. Every construction guy knows you can build a house, but if the foundation is bad, it's going to be bad in the end. It ain't going to last. Uh, imagine building this beautiful, nice house on the side, the right brick, the right color, the right design, the beautiful windows, and you think, oh, that house is beautiful. But if you had x-ray vision and you were able to, or whatever vision, and you were able to look through the dirt and see the foundation, if the foundation is bad, that house is going to crumble. doesn't matter how pretty it looks on the outside. Because it's going to get cold and it's going to get hot and it's going to rain and the, the dirt's going to shift and the earth's going to quake and things are going to happen. And if the foundation isn't strong, that house is going to fall. It's going to start cracking and it's going to fall over. And repairing it is cost twice as much as just doing it right the first time. It, so, so builders know you need a foundation. Well, not everybody was a builder back then, but they knew this illustration because they all lived in houses. They all lived in places. They knew this illustration. If you want a strong house, they, they had a wadis. If you don't know what a wadi is, W-A-D-I, a wadi is like imagine a river where there's not always water in it. It's like a draining gutter system that when it rains and there's a lot of rain, it uses that path to get where it's going. And when it's dry, there's no water in it. It just looks like a big ditch. And so back then they had wadis pretty common in their area because it was a desert, it was dry. And they knew if you built a house near a wadi, that'd be great because every now and then you get fresh water streaming through and you could use that for life and cooking and washing and everything else and drinking even. And so they would, they would build a lot of civilizations around bodies of water that they could use. But if you did and it rained because it was so dry, if it finally, kind of like in Newton this summer, if it's so dry when the water hits the ground, it doesn't just seep up. It's like PVC pipe. It just runs right past it. It's like, when is this dirt going to get soft enough to soak in the water? It would happen to them and the rivers would flood. Not, not most of the rivers, but like wadis. That was the most thing. It would rise and it would rain and the storm would come up. Like if you lived around the Sea of Galilee in the afternoon, the, the storm would come blowing through because of how the, the pressure changed with the hill country alongside Galilee. And it would come through and a storm would just come up like that and it would be severe and uh, they would have to take shelter and it would be bad. They understood, man, if you want your house to last, you need a good foundation. So he tells them, if you want a life that's stable, obey me. If you need stability in your life, act on my words. Apply them to your life. Is there an area of your life where you feel like, I don't have stability? This sermon should make you question, is it because I'm not applying God's word. I'm not enacting on God's word. 
There might be some things in your life where you feel like it's unstable because of things that are out of your control. You know, I, I know a lot of younger people, so a lot of times there's younger people that's like, I don't have a job yet, or I, don't, I haven't found the perfect one, or I don't have this. And it's out of my control. I don't have this, so I feel unstable. I'm not graduated. I haven't gotten the perfect this or that, or maybe your health. You can't control your health in some, sometimes, some ways. You can't control it. Things happen to you. And you might feel out of control. Well, God says, cast your cares on me. I will give you a peace that passes understanding. So if there's ever instability in your life, ask yourself, am I applying God's word and actually acting on it, actually doing it? That person is like a man who built his house on the rock. I like Luke chapter 6. He says it a different way. He uses, Luke is the one that uses different illustrations. Luke is the only one that even uses the colors of like the flowers and the grass. So Luke, the way that he writes his gospel, it's really fun because he uses more words than the other ones do. And he uses vivid descriptions because he, he just was a good writer. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Don't you love that? You just get this image of a guy working for hours, right? They didn't have those machines that just dig up the dirt for you. These were guys that had to hand labor, dig a, dig a trench, an, a border for their, for their foundation. They had to dig this down. He dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it. I love that. It was unshakable. What Jesus is saying is, I know you want a life that's unshakable, that even when it storms, and storms will come, the floods will come, you're going to experience all kinds of trials. And when it comes, if your faith is in me and you're building your life on me, it will be unshakable. Jesus wants that for his people. He wants your life to be unshakable. Couldn't shake it because it was well built. So you have to apply God's word to secure it. You, you can't just expect it to be secure. Uh, I've been learning a little bit about construction. Uh, that's the time of my life. I'm getting more tools. You'd be proud of me, some of you guys in here. I'm finally a man. I've got lots of, I've got more tools than I ever had. I've been working on stuff more than I ever have. I've been watching all these YouTube videos on how to fix stuff. It's great. And I've learned uh, screws are better than nails. Anybody ever had to learn that the hard way? Screws are way better than nails. Uh, if you have a nail gun, it's quicker, but screws are better. And if you screw it in, the ridges on the screws actually secure the pieces tighter than just a nail will. Now, na some houses are pretty much standing up with nails, and it's pretty impressive, but screws are better. And uh, I'm learning if you want to secure, if you want something to be truly secure, you got to screw it in. If you nail it in, it can come apart, but if you screw it in, man, that's hard. It's hard to get it. If you don't, unless you unscrew it, you ain't getting that thing apart. And so God wants us to apply his words so that it's truly secure. If you hear it but don't apply it, it's not going to make a difference in your life. You are going to have instability in your life if you don't apply it. And then Jesus ends with a warning. A warning. He's not a pessimist, uh, but he, he starts and he ends this part of his sermon with a warning, and that's on purpose. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, you're listening but you don't apply it Monday through Saturday, you hear it, or when you're doing your devotion. If you don't make it real in your life, you're going to be like a foolish man who built his house on, a, on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house, and it collapsed. 
it collapsed with a great crash. It was a, it was a horror. When he says great crash, what it means is when people burn out from not applying my word, it's devastating. And so even though he ends with a warning, do you feel the love that he's giving, the parental love he's giving with this? I don't want your life to be a great collapse. I don't want you to crash. I don't want you to fall like that. Don't just hear it, apply it, do it. Just knowing what God said is not enough. We must put it into practice to lay the right foundation of our lives. He and his word must be our foundation. For salvation, it's got to be our foundation. And for life, and our life not crashing and burning like you hear about, it's because people are not either knowing or just simply not applying God's word. I've shared my testimony before with with our church. Some of you, it might be kind of old, uh, but it really fits in with this passage because I was the one that Jesus was warning. Uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I grew up, uh, my parents named me Jack Daniel after the Tennessee whiskey. Anybody ever try that? Oh, 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 no, I'm just kidding. I almost said, anybody ever heard of that? You know, got you. Got you. Yeah, it's on camera. Uh, Jack Daniel's whiskey. I was named, it was so cute, right? Name after Jack Daniel. That's so cute, right? Not as cute as I thought. Uh, my dad, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom ended up messing around with drugs and living a crazy life. I would spend weekends in my mom's prostitute friend's parents' house and be there from Friday afternoon until Monday morning and then had to go to school and lie about why we were late. That's the home I grew up in. When I was nine, my parents split up. And then we moved in with my gay aunt and her partner in Detroit. One house, 15 people. I didn't have a room. I slept in the hallway. Uh, When I hear people talking about living in the hood and the bad place of this place and that place, and I hear them talk about like, yeah, you know, I've lived in dangerous places. It doesn't scare me. Yeah. Did you ever sleep in the hallway next to those people? Did you grow, did you live in that? Was that your cousins and your aunts? Was that, was that your friends? I grew up in a very non-Christian environment. I didn't know anything about God's truth. I didn't know how to apply his truth. My, my, I didn't even have a house. A lot of people are living on the sand today. I didn't even know the difference. And uh, when I was 16, my life finally changed. You know, I would go to youth group as a 13-year-old. You know, teenagers, they kind of get in the youth group scene because it's fun. There's pizza and girls. And so you're like, you go to youth group. You know, it's worth it for that. I'd go to youth group, and I looked like the kid that, you know, a lot of you, I know it's you. It's a lot of you in here. You, don't let that kid hang out with my kids. I was that kid. I was the kid that you're like, yeah, you can't talk to that kid. And I would go to youth group, and they would be like, oh, we're going to save him. You know, Michael W. Smith, he's going to be changed, colors. And they were like, all these things. And they start witnessing to me, and I would pull out the God card. I would. They'd start talking to me. and be like, no, I'm a Christian. They'd be like, yeah, no, no, you're not. Like, are you a Christian? I'd be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they would be stunned. I'd be like, I prayed the sinner's prayer. And you know, once prayed, always saved. They'd be like, no. I'd be like, yeah. When I was eight years old, I went to a Christian camp, and the person was like, anybody that don't want to go to hell, raise their hand. And I was like, sounds hot. I'm not in it. I raised my hand, and they're like, repeat after me. And I repeated this prayer, and it didn't mean anything to my life. I just didn't want to go to hell. And I prayed that prayer, and I told my friends this in youth group, like, hey, I, I prayed this prayer that Jesus would come to my heart. And they're like, oh, man, I don't know what to say. And even the youth group, even the youth minister was like, 
let's just have pizza. They didn't know what to do. The, the whole discipleship scheme was centered on, did you say the prayer? You said the prayer? Okay, we'll just move on to the next person. Like, they didn't know what to do. Uh, but there was a guy named Greg who was different, and he loved me. And uh, he would invite me over to his house on Tuesday evenings. He'd come and pick me up. I didn't have a car. And he, he, uh, he would sit with me and read through the book of Romans, if you can believe that. I was this ghetto kid. I gave him so much trouble. I argued with him about everything. Just imagine a teenager arguing. That, that's exactly me. I, I tried to explain, no, I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer. And he loved me. And he talked with me. And one day when he knew the relationship was built, he knew that I knew he cared about me. He said, Jack, I don't think you're a Christian. And I was like, Greg, you can't say that. <laughs> like, people don't say that. Even people at church, they didn't say that. We just had pizza. Like, you can't say that. He's like, no, I don't, I don't think you're a Christian. I said, but I said the sinner's prayer. He's like, okay. He took me to James chapter 2. He said, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but so do the demons. You have a demonic faith, but you don't have a saving faith. You know what the difference between the demons and Christians are? They know who Jesus is, but they love him and they follow him. He said, do you love him and do you follow him? And that made me so mad because I knew he was right. You can't say I'm not a Christian. Don't you talk to me that way. But I knew he was right. I had the faith of a demon. I remember a Wednesday right after that, I decided I'm going to go to church. I went to church, and this is old school Baptist Wednesday night. I didn't want to go with the youth group because I thought they were corny, and I didn't want to be with them. So I was with the old people in the basement, and they had a prayer meeting, super boring. I don't remember anything that anybody said, but the worst part is no one came up and talked to me. No one said a word to me. By the way, Grace Community Church, be nice to people around you. It doesn't matter if you're introverted. Be nice. Say hi to someone. Welcome them. I'm glad you're here. When you think about it, pray for them. You're not going to pray for them for the rest of your life. You might just pray for them once while you're going back to your seat. Love the people next to you. Love your neighbors. Be nice to them and kind to them. It really does make a difference. I didn't get saved because of them. I would have not been saved if it were for church experience. I walked home, and you know who I thought about? Greg. I had a Greg. Someone loved me, told me the truth. I got home, I opened, I remember I go to my room and I lock the door and I shut everyone else out. I remember yelling, God, I'll never become a Christian. I just can't do it. I know I can't do it. I will never be a good person. I see those churchy people, I don't even like them, let alone want to be like them. I can't be like that. I will never be good. I'm not going to fit in. I'm not going to fit that mold, that, you know, that mold that is there. It's not me. And I know I don't love you. I know I don't obey you. And that's the real problem. I know that you're God. I've known you've been God for years. But I don't love you and I don't follow you. Will you save me from me? Will you forgive me of not obeying you and not really caring about you and just caring about me? Will you save me from my sins, please? If not, I've got no hope. Just let me die tonight. But if you can, if you're willing, save me because you're the only hope that I have. I got saved that night. And my life has never been the same since that day when I was 16 years old. It's never been the same. What people need to know 
is it doesn't matter if you say that Jesus is God's son. It doesn't matter if you say you believe in Jesus. Lip service is not going to get you into heaven. Religious affiliation, I'm part of that church. I'm part of that group. My parents go to church. My, my dad's a pastor. It doesn't matter. The only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven is that you have a personal relationship with God and you love him and you desire him and you fall before him and you know you can't do it and you look to Jesus on the cross and him dying and be buried and rose again. You look at that and you say, that's what I need. I need him to do that for me. I believe he did it and I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. Jesus, forgive me. That's when you know you're a Christian. And you don't want to be deceived by religious affiliation and by lip service. And listen, we need more than drive-by evangelism too, right? If it were, I heard the gospel at a young age by, by people. It wasn't until I was 16 that I dealt with the truth of God loving me through his son and me needing to give my life to him. That's what we need to do with our neighbors. For some of us, we need to be that Greg to them for a while. Let them know we love them and share with them the truth. This is what it takes to be saved. Putting your faith in him doesn't mean you think he's real. Satan thinks he's real. Satan ain't going to heaven. It means giving your life to him. If you want a firm foundation, it's only found in Christ. I'm going to pray, and then they're going to come up, and we're going to sing some songs. And my hope is that you worship based on God's word, what he spoke to you now, that you worship out of this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a firm foundation. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, I'm so glad that you saved me from my sins and that you used Greg to share the truth so that I would not be the many that claim a religious affiliation that won't get me into heaven. It is because you loved me that I love you. And I know you love me through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You died for me when I was a sinner and your enemy, and I thank you for that. Would you be with us as a church? Help us to share that good news with others. Help us to be the hands and feet. Help us to extend your truth to our community. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.